Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this he sucks. Well, he's out. He's out. He's out. Yes, sir. is out. Look, look at this. Randy is out. And uh, Dean is mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Good morning. Of course, it's John Pielli right here on the MTR Radio Network. Pass ball show. Solid couple hours of baseball entertainment for you. Of course, always a reminder. You could tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. And we'll keep the discussion interactive. Everything going on in Major League Baseball. I got a couple guests lined up for today. We'll get into that in a little bit. But we're going to start going on some random baseball topics and, you know, a couple different things I do want to get into. I find some some things very interesting and we'll talk, you know, about the Mets a little bit later on. I do want to talk about a Mariners Orioles trade that happened a couple years ago that really has benefited the Baltimore Orioles tremendously. But I'm going to start out by talking about the Washington Nationals. And of course, the Washington Nationals were certainly a, a sexy pick in regards to Major League Baseball, the experts, the non-experts, everybody that goes out there that has their interest in what teams are going to win the division, what teams are going to have the best chance to represent their respective leagues in the uh, the pennants and getting to the World Series. And you probably weren't too silly if you picked the Washington Nationals, not only you know, to get to the World Series, but even to win the division, to get in as a wild card on a very bad season. But as you follow the things going on right now with the Washington Nationals, you're finding more and more of the chance that that's probably not going to happen. And, you know, you watch the Washington Nationals, and they, they've not done a bad job this year. I don't think they've been horrible on it by any stretch of the imagination. We could get into teams, and we have on the past ball show. We've talked about teams that have been absolute disappointments. They've been terrible. You know, you talk about the Angels, you talk about the Toronto Blue Jays, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Dodgers to a certain extent until all of a sudden they kicked fire and became the team that people thought they were going to be. But the Washington Nationals can kind of go under the radar a little bit because they haven't been that bad. And you talk about, let's say, the New York Yankees, a team that probably isn't going to the postseason, a team that will, will still finish with a respectable record, but probably fall short when it's all said and done. The same can be said about the Washington Nationals. You've heard me before we've talked on several other programs about the fact that the National League postseason teams seem to be set. You got the Braves who are running away with the National League East. You got the Dodgers doing the same in the West. And then the National League Central where you have Pittsburgh and St. Louis 
and Cincinnati, who are all probably going to get into the playoffs in some way, shape, or form. And that leaves the Nationals, of course, on the outside looking in with manager Davey Johnson and what is, is probably his final season. They sit at the moment of this broadcast at 74 and 69. So what went wrong? I mean, you could say, obviously, a team's going to finish 500. They're going to finish with an over 500 record. They have a tremendously talented team that is, you know, what is to blame? You could talk about the injuries, and every team has battled their share of injuries this year. You could talk about some lack of production, whether it's a guy like Adam LaRoche. Danny Espinosa's been hurt. Anthony Rendon has not torn it up like people would have expected. Uh, they're not getting a ton out of their catching situation, though Wilson Ramos has hit pretty well since he's been healthy. Bernard Spann is having an okay season, but not as dominant of a season, particularly with stolen bases and outfield defense that you would have expected. Bryce Harper hasn't been there for the whole season. He's hurt again. Steven Strasburg, after being held back with the innings limit last year, has, has made 28 starts but hasn't dominated. He's got a sub-3 RA but just seven wins. So, you know, you can look at a lot of different things that have not gone, not gone right for the Washington Nationals, but I do want to spend a moment to focus on a couple of things that have gone right. And the reason I want to talk about this is because a lot of the moves that Mike Rizzo made as a general manager were second-guessed and probably first-guessed when, when they were first initially made. And the first one that I want to get into is the signing of outfielder Jason Wirth to an eight-year contract paying him about 100, I'm sorry, seven-year contract for $126 million, and the fact that he's going to be around until the 2017 season. Now, you would think on, on the surface, on the beginning, the thought of a, of a deal like that being a little bit excessive, a little bit too much, considering the, what his track record was prior to him becoming a free agent, and certainly was a reason why the Philadelphia Phillies were not in the running to sign Jason Wirth to a similar contract to what the Washington Nationals signed him. Now, as we enter and finish year three of Jason Wirth's contract, you understand that the Washington Nationals will probably at some point be paying for some lack of productivity towards the end of that contract. Jason Worth is 34 years old right now. You add another four seasons to it. His age 38 season certainly is going to be past his prime. But the last time I checked, Jason Worth was having a pretty good season. And yes, he's going to have his injuries here and there because he's such a hard-nosed player. He missed half of the 2012 season, but hit 300. This past season's been a different story. He has been a very productive player for the Washington Nationals, and you could say that the team has struggled in spite of Jason Worth's success. And Mike Rizzo, maybe right now, rationalizing the deal that he go that that you know for the reason that he signed Jason Worth would be for the fact of what he's going to do in years like this and next year and maybe the year after. But he provides a very important veteran presence on that team. His performance in the postseason, hitting that walk-off home run to keep the series alive in the, in the NL, NLDS against the St. Louis Cardinals was big. It was a huge moment that you know certainly was something that could be respected in regards to uh, the Washington Nationals' playoff history. But this season, he has been very good. The guy is hitting 324. He's got a 932 OPS. He's got 22 home runs, 69 RBIs in 111 games. Remember, he's missed some time due to injury. So if he was healthy, playing the 150-plus games like he did in his last two years in Philadelphia and his first year with Washington, he'll be well on his way to 100 RBIs and potentially 30 home runs. 
he he's gotten a job done. He is certainly an integral part of that Washington National Clubhouse. And for those who went out there and wanted to criticize Mike Rizzo for making the signing and the excessive contract and the amount of years, yes, the eight-year deal could certainly be some uh, a point of contention. You could certainly criticize uh, Jason Worth signing for eight years and 126 million, but the Nationals have gotten production out of him. And, and you know, Jason Worth, who was healthy for half of last season and helped them in the postseason, was good his first season despite hitting just 232, has certainly taken to another level. His batting average is over 100 points higher than what it was in the 2011 season in his first year with the Washington Nationals. That was the year that everybody was criticizing the contract, saying, I can't believe you, you signed Jason Worth for a ridiculous contract and the guy's only hitting 232. You know, he's shown that he, that he, he is a very he's a very good hitter. He's going to get his share of singles. He's going to drive in some runs. Uh, you know, he's not the fleetest of foot, so I wouldn't expect him to be a big base, stolen base guy, first to third guy, but he's going to score his share of runs, and he certainly represents a very big presence in the middle of that Washington Nationals batting order. He plays good defense. He's, all, he's an all-out type of player. He's a hustle player. He's a guy that's going to run everything out, and, and that presence is going to kind of push itself towards the younger players on this team. A guy like Bryce Harper looks up to a player like Jason Worth, says that's the kind of guy I want to be. I want to bust it out of the box every time. When, when a, there's a fly ball out there, I want to go all out, dive head first, and go in for, for the big play in a situation like that. So Jason Worth, the signing, does not look too bad right now. And you may disagree with me, sure. Tweet at me at John underscore PLA. Let me know uh, how you feel. But you know, right now, the Jason Worth contract has not looked bad in spite of what's been a down season for the Washington Nationals. We talked last week about the possibility of maybe Bo Porter coming uh, back from the Houston Astros, joining the coaching staff and maybe becoming the next manager. But, you know, you, you're looking at a lot of interesting decisions that the Washington Nationals have to make. But they're not as far away as a lot of other teams are. And we're talking about teams getting themselves ready for the 2014 season. The Nationals can probably just run a majority of their team for, that they had last year out there and expect to compete for the National League East title. And a guy like Jason Worth has certainly been, been a reason why they've been competitive this year and is certainly going to help them for at least two, three more years down the road. Another guy that I want to talk about is uh, a trade that Mike Rizzo made and a, a subsequent signing to an extension that I didn't necessarily agree with right away. And that was the trade with the Oakland Athletics to get left-hand pitcher Gio Gonzalez. And Gio Gonzalez, uh, of course, is, you know, has been a guy that's bounced around from a couple different organizations. Was originally drafted by the Chicago White Sox in the first round, 38th pick overall in the 2004 draft. Was traded from the White Sox to the Phillies in, in, a, in a trade that, of course, ended up uh, sending uh, Jim Tomey over to the White Sox. Aaron Rowan came over, a guy by the name of Daniel Haywood. Uh, came over to the Philadelphia Phillies in exchange for Jim Tomey. And the Phillies ended up trading him with Galvin Floyd to the White Sox for Freddie Garcia. So going back on the history, and we will talk about a trade that certainly has that same type of implications. Imagine how the, how the White Sox felt if they actually used Gio Gonzalez to, you know, to what they, they, you know, the Nationals are using him and the Athletics used him before. If they got him and Gavin Floyd for Freddie Garcia, Certainly, the Chicago White Sox rotation would look phenomenal right now, and those guys are, are certainly both in the prime of their careers. I know Floyd's been hurt a little bit, but you know, you know, the White Sox end up trading him 
with uh, Fausto De Los Santos and Fa I'm sorry, Fortino De Los Santos, who of course was one of those guys that was involved in that biogenesis thing down in Florida and is currently serving a 50 game suspension. And, and you know, the deal to the Oakland Athletics for Nick Swisher. Remember, Nick Swisher was a White Sox for one year before he ended up signing that, uh, you know, being traded to the Yankees and signing that uh, deal where he was with the Yankees for a while. But, you know, a guy that was that young, and you realize in 2004 when he was, when he was drafted by the Chicago White Sox, you know, you're looking at a guy that was just 19 years old. And the fact that he made his major league debut when he was 22 with the Athletics and is 27 right now for the Washington Nationals, he seems like he's a lot older than he really is. And, of course, it was the, the, the Oakland Athletics who ended up trading him to the Washington Nationals in a deal for A.J. Cole, Tommy Malone, Derek Norris, and Brad Peacock. And I thought at the time it, it was a deal that, uh, you know, I wasn't happy with from the athletic standpoint because I've always shown my frustration with Billy Bean and his non-willingness to keep um, his core players that he ends up developing, and he's always trading them off. But within about a year or so, not even, and, you know, you look at the impact that Gio Gonzalez could potentially have on the Washington Nationals. I actually, I actually pulled a 180. I actually thought that, you know, the six-year contract that he signed, he signed through 2018, of course, that this is a situation where the Washington Nationals may not have gotten as good of a pitcher as they thought they did. And, that, and that's really where I've kind of gone the other way with it now. Gio Gonzalez last year won 21 games in his first year with the Washington Nationals, finished third in the National League in the Cy Young uh, Award voting, uh, led the league in strikeouts per, per nine innings pitched, led the league in the fewest home runs allowed per nine innings pitched. He gave up just nine home runs and almost 200 innings pitched, won 21 games, which of course led the National League. And I started to turn around and say, this guy may very well be a pretty decent pickup, but... How is he going to sustain that over the duration of his contract? And what, what I saw last night or, you know, whatever, a couple days ago, Mets Nationals, Gio Gonzalez looked like a absolute top pitcher. And, and I, I, know, I know it seems to be like maybe a little touche saying something like that because, you know, you know here's a guy that's been an all-star before. He's won 20 games. He's gone out there throwing over 200 innings a couple times. He, he's a high strikeout guy, 197 Ks in 2011, 207 last year. You know, why, why would you say something that's so obvious? But, you know, my point is, is that I, I really felt that Gio Gonzalez was a guy that over the next couple of years would digress. In a year like this, when the Washington Nationals are not going for the postseason, I, I would expect him to drop off a little bit and not be as dominant of a pitcher as he's been. And to look at him last uh, of the other night against the Mets, I understand the Mets are running a triple-A lineup out there. They're running guys out there like Juan Lagares and Wilmer Flores and Justin Turner and Travis Darno. You know, and the younger players that are playing for the Mets are not anywhere near where they're expected to be as they get you know, as they get themselves to a point where they could uh, be more dominant of players. But Gio Gonzalez looked like he could be an absolute number one. And I didn't necessarily feel that, even coming into this season, even coming off of a year that he won 21 games for the Washington Nationals in 2012. I feel, I feel Strasburg's a guy that's on the rise. He's going to be that 18-20 to 20 win type of guy. Jordan Zimmerman has certainly backed up what I thought he would be, as he's been probably the best pitcher on that entire staff. But Gio Gonzalez... And, you know, you put him in there with Jason Wirth, two moves that I think were very disputed 
in regards to Mike Rizzo as the general manager of the Washington Nationals, and my points are on the record of what I feel about Mike Rizzo as a, as a general manager and as a person in regards to running the Washington Nationals organization, but I will give him credit because he went out there and his two boldest moves that he made involved players that he ended up locking up long-term. And you look at Gio Gonzalez, who signed two, two, th through 2016 and two team vesting options for 2017 and 2018. And Jason Wirth, who was signed through 2017. The two riskiest decisions that Mike Rizzo, as the general manager of the Washington Nationals, made may turn out to be the best moves down the road for this franchise. And, and it, it, it does seem a little bit, a little bit weird. Because we always talk about contracts in Major League Baseball. Oh, man, they're just paying them too much money. How can you sign a player like that for that long? We talk about Albert Pujols and, you know, maybe even down the road, Prince Fielder, Alex Rodriguez, uh, all these, Josh Hamilton, all these guys getting these excessive amounts of money for these elongated periods of time. But the Washington Nationals may be able to sustain some very good success, conversely, from the way a lot of people think because of Gio Gonzalez and Jason Wirth. And I think that's an angle of this whole thing that few of us ever get into and discuss because we're always, we're always so fixated, so fascinated, so intently on these long-term contracts and talking about how they're always a bad deal and they never work out for any team that's involved. But Mike Rizzo's reputation, which he put a lot on the line, I'll admit, he went out there and he totally put a ton on the line in regards to these these two signings not just the trade for Gio Gonzalez the trade for Gio Gonzalez he, yes he gave up some young players that were uh, certainly helping the Oakland Athletics right away and the Athletics got themselves into the playoffs last year just like the Nationals did that's a whole different story but getting Gio Gonzalez and signing him to that long-term extension which certainly justified the amount of talent that he ended up giving up in that trade with the Oakland Athletics uh, you know was something that Maybe the Nationals would have felt towards the end of that contract. And I'm not so sure right now. I think Gio Gonzalez has got, after this season, what he's shown this year, in spite of the Nationals not having their best season, it, he certainly has two more seasons that he could be an elite pitcher, a number one or a number one A or number one B on the staff of the Washington Nationals as they make their run towards a postseason berth in 2014. And 2014, 2015, all of a sudden, there's just one year left on his contract. And if he could be reasonable with that, then maybe keep him around a couple more years while the Nationals have built some postseason experience. And I think the same thing could be said about Jason Worth. When you got Bryce Harper and you got Ryan Zimmerman and you got guys that, you know, if they're not younger, they're, they're inexperienced in regards to the postseason. The exact thing that general manager Mike Rizzo wanted to see out of Jason Worth and Jail Gonzalez is exactly what he's gotten. And we spent so much time talking about teams that go out there and sign free agents and they end up being bust. This could be a very positive situation in Washington in spite of what's been a bad year. If Jason Worth can back up this season with another season like he had this past year and Gio Gonzalez could certainly uh, solidify himself as a top pitcher with the Nationals, with Jordan Zimmerman and Steven Strasburg, there's no question about it. The Washington Nationals will be back in 2014. Once again, this is John Pialli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take our first break at a program, be back with a lot more stuff going on after this.
I'm Karen Siaskas-Eltman from Italian Hour. When my car needs service, I take it to Jonathan's Complete Car Care. Jonathan's Complete Car Care is the best for auto repairs, tires, diagnostics, and tune-ups. You can depend on Jonathan's for the best service at prices you can afford. Give Jonathan's Complete Car Care a call. 609-601-6460. They work hard to give you the service you need. Jonathan's Complete Car Care works with many vehicles, including Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, Volkswagen, and Audi. Make Jonathan's Complete Car Care the company you keep. 609-601-6460. Call today for a free estimate or visit. Find us on the web at jonathanscompletecarcare.com and like us on Facebook and find us on Twitter. Listening to MTR Radio, powered by MTRmedia.com. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7-24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. MTR. Back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, this is the Passball Show, baseball interview show, and we're going to get into our first interview today that I recorded this past week with former Major League catcher Earl Averill. And, you know, you'll see a couple uh, photoshopped uh, pronunciations of his name, which for some reason I didn't get right. But the bottom line is, you know, a very good spot there with Earl Averill. And Earl had a chance, of course, to play, you know, in the 50s and 60s as a catcher. His father was a Hall of Fame outfielder, center fielder for the Indians for many years, and he got to see him get inducted later on in 1975 into baseball's Hall of Fame. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this spot. Former Major League catcher Earl Averill. Good afternoon. It's John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League catcher Earl Averill. Earl, what's going on, man? And <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you, man. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, you had a chance to play in the major leagues, but, you know, one thing that intrigues me is the chance that you had growing up with, you know, with your father being a, you know, a very good center fielder and an eventual Hall of Fame player in his own right. Uh, what did, uh, you know, what did it feel like, you know, as you were growing up to, you know, have a father that was established in the major leagues? Well, you know, uh, you know in, in all realms, uh, uh, my 
time in the youth went by so fast, and my uh, and dad was dad was obviously a, a star at the time, but uh, that basically was kind of when I was being raised. You know, I was being raised as a kid, and dad didn't really. Uh, he wasn't one of those who grabbed a thumb and said, let's go hit some ground balls and, and get you going. He just kind of let you lead your own way. No, I mean that's that's the way I think the way most kids you know want to grow up. But you know, as as you watched him play, I mean, uh, you know, you, you obviously you know you you saw you know he was he was he was very good at what he did. He was very successful. Did that lead you to want to play baseball yourself? There was obviously something you know, that led me to want to play baseball, but I, I think it was just the fact that uh, you know as you as you grow up in the earth, the earth becomes a little more. Uh, you just uh, you wonder about a lot of things and then you have a little bit of success and somebody says, hey, would you like to try out for a baseball team? And that's about what happened to me. Uh, I was going to the University of Oregon had graduated and uh, was, in fact, I had, I had not graduated. I was waiting for the graduation ceremonies and uh, Rick Burns called me and said, uh, hey, Claire, I'd like to give you a tryout if you'd like to go. And, my wife says nothing to this. I mean, she, she says, why do you want to be a baseball player? Why do you have other things in my mind? <laughs> but anyway, uh, by the way, we're celebrating 62 in a couple of days, so. No, uh, yeah. So anyway, I went, I went to Cleveland that tryout, and uh, some of the names that were pitching to me at the time, that they think about it, Bill McKechnie, Red, Red Ruffing, Red Crest, these guys were with the Cleveland organization in a, in a combination coaching and consulting capacity at the time. And they uh, did two batting practice to me there for a couple of days. And they put me on a train and I went to Albany, New York, and joined the, the Reading Indians with uh, Kirby Farrell as a manager. Yeah, I'll tell you, what I find, I find interesting about it, and of course you make a big comparison from baseball the way it is today and the way it was then. I mean, yeah, you, you, got, you got yourself a college education, which was, was, was great. Did, did, were you swayed in any way to consider using, let's say, your college education to get into a career as opposed to playing baseball, since, you know, baseball at the time wasn't a real high-paying job? Well, you're right. In fact, I probably made made more money by turning out a teaching opportunity than I than I did playing baseball because in the, at the time that I signed, the first year salary, including bonus, did not exceed four thousand dollars. So if you if you made more than four thousand dollars in nineteen fifty three, you were you had to be in the big we got reporting that last year. Yeah, and I tell you, you know, I'm sure you had a, you know, a decision to make. I mean, you know, it was great, you know, probably going to the tryouts and, you know, being able to uh, to make a team. But I'm sure you had to think about, you know, um, did you have any doubts as far as it being the right choice for you, you know, in regards to, you know, what you knew you were going to get paid as a baseball player? Well, let me, let me tell you where the doubts arose. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I reported the first day, when I reported the first day, uh, Bill and we went to Schenectady, New York. The guy, one of the guys wanted to play catch with me. And after he warmed up a few times, I wonder, where in the devil am I doing in this league? I had a, I had an old McGregor pitcher's glove in who wanted to warm up with Herb Stiller. And Herb <laughs> was throwing little mini baseballs at that point in his career. So, wow. yeah. 
Now, I must have, I tell you, he, he's a guy that might have, must have been hard to catch considering how hard he threw, right? Well, actually, he's a hurtful thing. He's easy to catch because uh, he doesn't have the ball that he Earl Averill. Now, you know, what, you know, you came, you came up obviously with the Indians, you know, as a catcher. Um, you know, you had a chance to be teammates with Bob Feller, and what was interesting about that is Bob Feller was also uh, briefly a teammate with your father. Uh, you know, what, what, what was it like, you know, being, you know, catching Bob Feller and just, uh, you know, being having a chance to play with a, you know, with a guy like him. Obviously, you got to see you know, really the, the greatness in a Bob Feller, probably similar to what you saw um, at the beginning years of Herb Score, and you know, you know when it, what it, you know, within his rookie year and stuff. But uh, what, what, what do you think made made Bob Feller as, as as good and as dominant of a pitcher for as long as he was? Obviously, you got a chance to play with, with the Indians, and then you came up with the Cubs for a couple of years. And then you were taken in the expansion draft by this new team called the Los Angeles Angels. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about what it, what it felt like to be taken in the expansion draft and then playing for a new team that had no history, didn't, you know, didn't exist prior to that, and be like one, in, one of the, uh, one of the uh, primary members of the first ever uh, Los Angeles Angels team. It was kind of a different scenario because uh, you were thrown into the barrel with, with uh, basically 25 guys, none of whom you, you actually knew very little about any of them. Um, and uh, we were predicted to win, I believe it was 40 ball games, because we mostly thought we win. And I think, if you look at the record, I think that we won more games the first year than it did. Uh, the Angels did in the next year, nearly 20 years. So uh, we got together as a group. We had no hang up on each other. Everybody uh, uh, seemed like we had, I think we had five guys that hit about 20 home runs or more. So we were, we were offensively, and no, no pun there, offensively a fairly decent ball club. Uh, we had some, some, no, I tell you, and that team, like, you know, overachieved a little bit from, uh, you know, an expansion team standpoint. I, I mean, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the expectation of 40 wins. You think of a, a year later with the, the New York Mets in 1962, that's the only amount of, you know, they won 40 games, you know, so... You know, the you know for what what you guys were able to do that first year was pretty pretty interesting, and of course that turns out to be your best year in 1961. You hit 21 home runs. Uh, tell, tell tell us a little bit about what what you felt like went right for you, and you know why that season kind of stood out in your you know the, the track record of your playing career. Well, it's difficult because I, if I had 21 home runs, if you look at it, I think I only had about 310 at-bats. But it was one of those scenarios when. Uh, uh, things happened. Uh, I was credited with winning, uh, you know, 13 game winning hits. Well, you don't keep track of those anymore. But anyway, uh, when when you get into situations and you just have to come through with a base hit, you start adding up, and it just kind of it, it, it just kind of grows. There's no explanation for it. And I'm sitting here watching the marriage, and I, I see that they've done, you know, they've had. Uh, Situations in the last 49 times with men in strong position, they've come through three times. Now, if, if we'd have that same success rate, we'd have won the 40 games with, with the Angels of Virtue. No, very true, man. And I tell you, you know, you end up, uh, you know, later on in your career, you you set a record, a tire record for the most consecutive plate appearances reaching base. Um, is that something with? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, excuse me, I didn't know that. Baseball's Hall of Fame. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, that day. Uh, you know, I'm sure you were there, and what, you know, what, what that all meant to you. Well, I meant the world to all of us because uh, it was it was, it was a trying few years up to that point because we had you know, we had we had tried to promote this this admission in the Hall of Fame and it it got to the point where it was almost too political to deal with and uh, I don't know how to explain that but uh, uh, there were scenarios that went on over the time stories that are not repeatable but that just kind of kind of got to the value as to whether. You know, Dad basically He's in Baseball Hall of Fame, where he absolutely belongs. And you know, you, do you have any uh, any particular moment of your own playing career that really stood out? You know, whether it was for the Indians or the Angels or anybody else, was there was there any one particular moment that always kind of stays in your head that you always think about? Well, uh, interestingly enough, you think about some of the biggest thrills you had in baseball, and mine came from an introduction. And in this case, I was in Boston. you having some time today, Earl. Best of luck to you, and uh, thanks for, you know, giving me a couple minutes. Hey, hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot there with Earl Averill, and of course he talks about the animosity that his father, with the same name, Earl Averill, had, you know, in regards to baseball and his Hall of Fame and the voting process, and, you know, the fact that he said that if he, he wasn't inducted while he was still alive, he didn't ever want to be there, and I think it's some definitely interesting stuff to get into in regards to you know, what, what the guy went through and his father. And I found it fascinating that his father never really pushed him to play baseball. And, you know, we talk about parenting and stuff like that. And you don't want to make your kid into what you want him to be. You want him to be what they want to be. And I think it was, a, it was a very good point that he made there that his father allowed him to do whatever he wanted to do. And he happened to chose baseball just like his old man. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot there. Former Major League catcher Earl Averill, who this past week, just happened to turn 82 years of age. So happy birthday, Earl. What we're going to do is we're going to take another break. We'll be finishing up this hour of the Past Ball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network. Back after this. This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to MTRRadio.com, fantastic. Que bueno. But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio. 
listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. And you're listening to MTR Radio. A flippin' out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Always covering the most current topics today. Check us out on mtrradio.com. We will offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over five and a half million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, tweet at me, at John underscore Pielli, anytime during the duration of this program, and I'll be happy to reply to every single tweet that gets sent my way. I've done a good job with it. We've had some great discussions. And, you know, we, we want to keep this program interactive. Of course, you know, we haven't been going live for a little while, but, you know, we're giving you a different show every week, a new show, a, a newly recorded show. And, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, if there's something that you guys want to talk about and we get into and we've had some heated debates, uh, you know, in regards to stuff going on in Major League Baseball. I know it took a lot of crap for uh, ruling the Yankees out when I was on the MTR evening drive a couple weeks ago and the Yankees responded by winning five out of six. They've struggled a little bit since, of course. And, you know, they're in a situation where right now they're, they're playing the Baltimore Orioles. And one guy that certainly has been a very big help to the Baltimore Orioles and their pitching staff has been right-hand pitcher Chris Tillman and he's a 25-year-old right-hander he's come up and really over the last couple years has battled some injuries and some inconsistencies and has kind of found himself this year which I actually thought he kind of did last year when he got a chance to pitch in 2012 with the Baltimore Orioles he was 9-3 293 ERA he's not going to be an overwhelming strikeout pitcher but he could get almost a strikeout an inning at his best and there's a guy that can go deep in the games. He could pitch six, seven innings. He doesn't give up a ton of base runners. Uh, he's not. He doesn't walk a lot of guys, though this year he's walked probably a little more than he would have liked. But at the same time, he's pitch, he's done a phenomenal job. Has been the best pitcher on the Baltimore Orioles pitching staff. And what I want to get into, and I've I've done this. I did this last week, and I want to get into this again. I know, uh, you know, I know I've, re- I've referred to the same team in both trades. You know, the Baltimore Orioles, this is one trade that's kind of gone to a point where I think it would help them a lot more than it hurt them. We talked last week about Scott Feldman going to the Orioles in exchange for Jake Arrieta and Pedro Strope. And this is a trade that happened about, what, about four or five years ago? We're talking about, what, 2009, I think, the offseason? Uh, yeah, February 8th of 2008, actually. He was, uh, it was a deal involving the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles. Eric Bedard was the big pitcher, the big, the big prize that the, the uh, Seattle Mariners ended up getting. Obviously, you know, the Mariners are always in a position where they're trying to win now. One of those teams that really never gets seems to get it together. 
but they always seem to be making moves with the hopes that the team could be competitive right away. And after the 2000, I'm sorry, before the 2008 season, it was determined that the Mariners wanted to get Eric Bedard, a guy who could certainly be a number one or number two towards their pitching staff and help them moving forward with a young guy by the name of Felix Hernandez anchoring the staff. Bedard had put up some very good numbers for the Baltimore Orioles to become one of their better pitchers. And I think so quickly if we forget that the Baltimore Orioles were not very good for a long time. And you look at Eric Bedard's career. It started really when he emerged on the scene in 2006 after being kind of up and down a little bit at age 27. He won 15 and 11 and threw almost 200 innings, a 13 and 5 season that he followed with it with a very good ERA. And at the time, you know, the Orioles were looking to build for the future. You know, they took the guy that finished number five in a race for AL Cy Young in 2007, and they sent him over to the Seattle Mariners in exchange for a handful of prospects. And the guys involved in the trade were Adam Jones, who is, is an all-star and has been a phenomenal center fielder for, for the Baltimore Orioles and the American Leagues, probably the best center fielder in the American League right now, and several other players, which included Chris Tillman. And George Sherrill, left-handed pitcher, who helped him out for a long time. Um, a couple other guys that ended up not making an impact. But if we stick to just Adam Jones, that's certainly a coup. That's a phenomenal trade, just getting Adam Jones in a trade like that. But I want to focus on Tillman a little bit. Tillman has been a guy that I talked about in the preseason, and I did all my picks you know, to start the season. And obviously, I was wrong on a lot of them, like most of us are. But one, one thing I did stick with, and I, I'm happy to say that I was right about this, is Chris Tillman has established himself as a number one on the Baltimore Orioles pitching staff. He is no doubt the ace on that staff. And you look at his numbers. We talked about the 16-5, and 5, 366 ERA, 153 Ks, and 179 in the third innings. And they got some good pitchers, whether it's a Miguel Gonzalez, a Jason Hamill, a Wee Chen, uh, Feldman, of course, who they traded for from the Cubs. They got some decent pitchers. You add Bud Norris from the Astros in there. Kevin Gossman covered, coming up potentially. You know, you look at uh, you know a couple other guys that are on the verge of making a major league debut and you know establishing themselves. They do have some young pitchers that are still down there in the minors that we have yet to see yet. Zach Britton, you know, guys like that. But the, what I'm talking about right now is the fact that Chris Tillman has really kind of taken that step to become a legitimate starting pitcher and a top-of-the-rotation guy. Coming into this season, you didn't really know who the number one was with the, with the Baltimore Orioles. You talked about Weeing Chen, who they signed last year. And Chen has been you know, hurt. You know, he's, been, he's been back and forth. Hopefully he'll be ready for the postseason if the Orioles are able to make it there. But Jason Hamill has been hurt a lot. Miguel Gonzalez, who I think is a good pitcher. He's a guy that's going to go out there and give you innings, I think. But at the same time, he doesn't have the upside that a guy like Chris Tillman has. So the Orioles, in this deal, were not only able to add Adam Jones, but they added Chris Tillman. And I think it's real easy to forget that this guy was included in this trade. Because, you know, you look at how many years he's already been up with the Baltimore Orioles. You know, it's not like he's just making his Major League debut today. The guy, this is his fifth part of his fifth season with the Baltimore Orioles and he made at least 11 starts in every one of those years and of course you know at age 21 age 22 uh, you know he's still trying to get his feet wet establish himself a little bit with the 13 starts he made in 2011 but for the most part in his first three seasons he was kind of back and forth between the minors and the majors and he got himself to a point where he got, you know, he was able to locate his pitches a lot better. His fastball, which looks a lot faster than it is, he throws about 91, 92, may hit 93, 
but he's able to locate it into a spot where it's very difficult for hitters to hit. And he started to see that last year. He started to see that with, with the Baltimore Orioles last year when he went 9-3 and three in the 15 starts and had a sub-3 ERA. And, you know, you look at the Baltimore Orioles pitching staff of, of last season and led by guys like Chen, who, of course, made 32 starts. Tommy Hunter was in the mix. He's a reliever now. Hamill, Jake Arrieta, who we talked about last week, was traded to the Cubs. Miguel Gonzalez, who very similarly won nine games for the Baltimore Orioles in only 15 starts. But it was Tillman that I really thought had that upside, that he had the ability to take it up another level and be that kind of pitcher over the course of a full season. And I'm glad to see that that's finally worked out for uh, the Baltimore Orioles. And, of course, you know, we can talk about Adam Jones all you want. You know, he, he's certainly one of the top center fielders in all of Major League Baseball, let alone just the American League. And the Baltimore Orioles made a very good move there. I mean, at the time, it could have been something, a point of contention. It could have been a point where that you could have criticized that move a little bit in regards to trading Eric Bedard, who was only 27 at the time and was coming off of two very solid seasons, one of them that got him in the top five in the AL Cy Young. You talk about where the Baltimore Orioles were at that point. They were not going anywhere. You were hoping that maybe a guy like Eric Bedard would be a guy you could have along and kind of take the team to the next level. And at the time, it looked like, a tough decision. It looked like a decision that was going to backfire in the face of the Baltimore Orioles, their organization, and their fans. And the Seattle Mariners were going to be the beneficiaries with not only King Felix there, but Eric Bedard to be a solid number two starting pitcher. And look at what ended up happening. And I don't think you could have predicted that Eric Bedard would have fallen off as much as he has. And you look at him over the last several seasons, he's been up and down. He's been with so many different teams. He's had so, a lot of serious injuries that he's been dealing with. You know, Seattle Mariners, when he joined the team in 2008, he pitched in fi just 15 games, going 6-4, and four, made 15 starts in 2009, going 5-3 and three while he was healthy. He was pitching well. But the problem was is that they couldn't get him out on the field because he was battling the arm issues. 2011. I'm sorry, right after he ends up missing the entire 2010 season, he comes back in 2011, establishes himself a little bit with the Seattle Mariners. Still a very good ERA, just 345 and 16 starts. Then he gets traded to the Boston Red Sox for the pennant chase. You know, goes one and two and eight starts there. Last year, signs a contract with the, Pits the Pittsburgh Pirates. Goes seven and 14 in, in 24 starts with an over five ERA and it, it seems to be what has looked like kind of a little bit of a downward spiral in, in Eric Bedard and his career as he hit age 34 right now with the Houston Astros four and 10 in 23 starts he's been in a bullpen you know he hasn't pitched terribly but certainly is nowhere near where he was in regards to uh, you know his prime with the Seattle Mariners and the Mariners obviously are disappointed about this they ended up moving him of course like I said to the Boston Red Sox in, in a three-way trade, which involved several interesting players, guys like Josh Fields, Tim Fedorovich, Stephen Fife, uh, Ching-San Wang, Trayvon Robinson. Yeah, probably a, a three-way trade that nobody ever talks about, but you know, that sent him to the Boston Red Sox. But you, know, you look at what has ended up happening, and you could say that a trade like that that involved Chris Tillman and Adam Jones is a move that the Baltimore Orioles could point back to several years ago and say, listen, this was the turn of us being a crappy team to not only a contending team, but a very good team. And we, when we see Chris Tillman grab the ball 
for game one of the ALDS or the ALCS, if the Orioles are lucky enough to make it there, and you look out in the center field and you see the guy that's playing center field is Adam Jones, maybe one of the best players on a team. I think Manny Machado over time will establish himself as the best player on that team. But listen, there's a lot of talented players there. You can't get by with just one guy. And, you know, you see Adam Jones playing center field. You see Chris Tillman, you know, pitching the first game of a, of a playoff series. You got to point back to the Seattle Mariners trade, which sent Eric Bedard over there from the Baltimore Orioles at the time, when at the time, Eric Bedard was the best pitcher on their staff. So it's something interesting to look at. And obviously, you know, we're going to continue to go back and talk about trades and how they've impacted certain teams that are either independent race or not independent race or maybe independent race because of a trade or not independent race because of a trade. But it's all definitely interesting stuff to get into right here on the Passball Show on the MTR Radio Network. But, you know, always a reminder, tweet at me at John underscore PLE. Anything going on in your mind? And we'll, we'll feel free to talk about it during the duration of the program. But what we're going to do... It was, we're going to break here for our first part of the show. We'll be back with a lot more stuff going on. Past ball show right here on the MTR Radio Network. A reminder, of course, download the apps we have on the iPhone and the Android. You could not only listen to us on the computer, but take us with you. Listen on your phone. Um, listen on your mobile device, perhaps your iPad. And, of course, you could hook the auxiliary plug up in your car and have a chance to take us on the road with you as you're traveling you know, to wherever it is you need to go. So a lot of different stuff, obviously. A lot of great program on this station, uh, 24 hours, seven days a week. You could, of course, catch me on the evening drive on Thursdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Every other week, I'm down over at the Hooters in Princeton, New Jersey. I'm joined by Mike Sanfilippo when I'm over at Hooters. And then, of course, Chris Speziali is with me the other weeks while I'm in a studio over here in Hasbrook Heights. And, of course, you can always check out my, my baseball drop-ins, my uh, little segments I do on the MTR Morning Throwdown, which is usually Tuesdays, sometime in the 7 to 9 time slot. And, of course, with David Dobin on the MTR nightcap, usually around like 10, 1030. So hopefully you guys enjoy all that. Like I said, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, back for hour two after this.